you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please, please turn in them to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Last week we started a new sermon series called Gather, Grow, Go. It's a bit of a departure from what we normally do. Instead of walking through a book of the Bible, we're spending the next four weeks, three or four weeks, um, talking about some of our fundamentals, reminding ourselves of some of our fundamentals, our mission, our vision, why we exist as a church, and what we are to be about doing. Last week we were reminded of our mission that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. In that, we saw our primary purpose, which is to glorify God, and our primary function, which is to make disciples of all nations that we saw in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We summarized what we are to be about doing and the vision of how we see this happen at New Branch by saying we gather because of the gospel, Because the good news of Jesus Christ has transformed us from enemies into sons and daughters of God. Because the the gospel has transformed us by grace through faith into those who were far from God and who are now near to God. We We now gather because of that. We gather because of the gospel. But then we grow in the gospel. When we gather, we gather to grow in the gospel. We're going to talk about what that means this morning. And then thirdly, we go from here with the gospel. So this week and next, we're going to be outlining and seeking to understand, come to grips with what it means to grow in the gospel. It is nearly a universal truth that healthy organisms grow. Whether it's plants or animals or people or whatever, healthy organisms grow. When you have a baby and you take that baby, that newborn, to the doctor, which seems like every other month over the first year, what is one of the first things that the doctors and nurses do in that well baby checkup? They, they put the baby on a scale and they weigh him or her, right? Why? Because that's one of the indications of the health of the child, whether they're doing well or not doing well. If that baby doesn't weigh more than the last time you were in the doctor's office with that baby, then that's an indication that something's not going right with that baby because healthy babies grow. Whether it's plants or animals or people or even viruses, healthy things grow. And if things don't grow, then they are not healthy. They won't grow. Now, it's not quite a universal truth because the last time I stepped on the scale, I'm still growing. And that's not necessarily healthy. But in most situations and circumstances, that holds true. Healthy organisms grow. It is a sign of health. And the same is true for us as believers in Christ. As Christians, as followers of Jesus... If a healthy Christian will grow, an unhealthy Christian is not growing. So when we talk about growing as believers in Christ, we're not talking obviously about physical growth, we're talking about spiritual growth. Just as Jesus explained to old Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't understand that. He said, how can one be born when he is already old? And Jesus went on to explain to Nicodemus that he was talking about being born again spiritually, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing that we deserve judgment from God because of our disobedience to him, because of our sin against him, we deserve his wrath. And then coming to faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing that his His death on the cross in our place, his perfect life of righteousness lived for us, that that, that trusting in that is the only way for us to be rescued from what we deserve. And when we do that, we experience what the Bible calls a new birth, spiritually speaking. Not born physically, but born spiritually. We were dead, Paul says in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what was once dead is now, by, faith through, by, by grace through faith in Jesus, is now made alive. 
We're giving new, given new life in Christ. We are literally born again through faith in his death and resurrection. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, which means he's come to faith in Jesus for his sins, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, which means look, the new has come. So the first question that, that we all have to ask ourselves is, am I alive? Am I alive, not physically, but spiritually? Have I come to that place where God has made me aware of, of my own sin, and because of my sin, I am lost and apart from him, not just in this life, but in the next Have I come to grips with the reality that I can't do anything about that? I can't fix that through my own trying to do good and and trying to be a a better person and to love more and to attend church more. That that I can't do anything about my hopelessly lost condition. And and have I come to realize through God's grace that, that he has sent his son Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that I never could to, to achieve the righteousness that I never could in a thousand lifetimes and to die in my place on the cross, have I put my faith in Christ alone to rescue me from that? Am I alive spiritually? That's the first question that I want everyone in here to wrestle with. But then secondly, when we come to faith in Christ, we are baby Christians, we are baby, young, small, immature Christ followers. But we can't remain baby Christians. If we remain baby Christians, if we, if we don't grow, if we, if we don't change, if we don't mature, then something is unhealthy in our spiritual life. And so the second question that I want us to deal with is are we growing spiritually? Are you? Are you growing spiritually? As you look at your life, as you look at your faith, as you look at your walk with Jesus, are you closer to him today than you were this time last year? Do you love him more now than you did two months ago, three months ago, three years ago? Are you growing spiritually. Now, there are lots of questions that this should bring to mind. How does this happen? How does a Christian grow? What does it look like? And and who does the work? Does, Does God do it or do I do it? And if I do it, then man, what's the formula for doing it? How do I grow spiritually? What, what, What is it that I grow into? An apple seed grows into an apple tree. A a puppy grows into a dog. A kitten grows into a cat. What does a baby Christian grow into? What are the characteristics of a grown-up Christian? And and then, baby, what is a grown-up Christian? And and, and when do you get there? You know, as as adults, as adult humans, there's a point at which we stop growing, or at least that we, we hope we would stop growing. So when is it that I no longer have to be concerned with growing spiritually? When do I get to that point where I am mature, where where I am a grown-up Christian? And then maybe most importantly, why should I grow? What's what's, What's my motivation in this? Why should I be concerned with, with pursuing spiritual growth and maturity in my faith? We're not going to be able to answer all of those questions this morning. This morning, we're just going to be able to scratch the surface and begin a conversation that I hope and pray will be conversations that will cultivate a, a culture of growing in the gospel here at New Branch. Where our conversations with one another are marked by questions such as, how are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in Christ? 
How can I pray for you to grow? How can I help you to grow in Christ? Here's how you can help me. To, I'm not growing in Christ. Here's what I need help with. Can you walk with me through this? These are the questions and conversations that, that we believe as elders will begin to cultivate a culture of growing in Christ for the glory of God. Our expectation is that every single one of us would grow spiritually, that we would grow in the gospel. So the text this morning that I've selected to talk about this really as a launching point is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is a letter is written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And he, he wrote it to the church in this town called Philippi. He had planted the church there in Philippi on his second missionary journey. And then later when he's in prison in Rome, this church that he had planted years ago sent a, mis- a messenger to him, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, and he was sent to, to seek to encourage Paul while he's in prison, but also to bring him a good report of how the church in Philippi was faring. This text that we're going to look at this morning comes right after the greeting, right at the beginning of the letter, as Paul expresses joy and thanksgiving at hearing how this church is doing. So listen to the word of God, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in the imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, in faith, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Father, this morning that you'd speak to us from it. Father, I pray that Everything that I say would be anchored in your word, and that anything that is not would fall on deaf ears, but Lord, as much as it is, may it, by your spirit, be driven deep into our soul, so that you would awaken in us a deep desire and passion to grow in our walks with you for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Paul talks here about how he's thanking God. This is really, this is a prayer. Paul's talking about how he's praying for them. And he begins by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel. That word partnership in the Greek is the word koinonia, which is normally translated as the word fellowship or community. It's the idea of fellow participation or communion with. Communion with what? Participation in what? He says your participation in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul is thanking God because they are partners in the gospel. And we've talked before about how Paul often talks about the past, present, and future tense of the work of the gospel, that by grace through faith, God has saved us from sin's penalty, and that by sustaining grace in the present, he is saving us from sin's power, and that through persevering faith, God will save us from sin's very presence in the future. And, and we see all three of these tenses of salvation in this passage in Philippians chapter 1. First, in the past. 
He says in verse 5, I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day. From the first day. And then later in verse 7, he says that the Philippians are partakers of grace along with Paul, referring to the grace of salvation. He also talks about the present work of the gospel. He says, I'm thankful for your participation in the gospel from the first, first day until now. So it, so it started at one point, but your participation in the gospel has continued until now. And then finally, the future tense of it in verse 10, Paul prays that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that is the return of Christ, which is yet to come in the future. Theologically speaking, the past tense work of the gospel is what Bible scholars call justification, that by repenting of our sin and waywardness and disobedience to God and professing faith in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection in our, on our behalf, we are justified to stand before a holy God. By faith in Jesus... We are now in right relationship with God. Our sins, have, our sins have been paid for, and we now are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We are justified. Sinners who deserve judgment are now justified to stand in God's holy presence and be granted entrance into his kingdom in the hereafter. The present tense work of the gospel is called sanctification, something that we're going to spend time on this morning. And then the future tense work of the gospel is called glorification. But we also see, not only do we see them in those verses that we just talked about, but we also see all three tenses of the work of the gospel in one single verse in this passage, a verse that I want us to spend the bulk of our time on this morning, and that is verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in that one verse, we see the gospel's work, first of all, in our past. He, He talks about the beginning of that work, the work of bringing us to faith in Christ, which points to our justification, where we began our walk with Christ, where we began as a baby Christian, new in our faith, by grace through faith in Jesus. But then we also see the gospel's work in our present in verse 6. He talks about that work being perfected, that it will be brought to completion, which points to our sanctification. And then we also see the future tense of the work of the gospel as he talks about how that work will be perfected. He says it'll be brought to completion. It'll It'll be finished. It'll be completed at the day of Christ, which will happen in the future, which points to our glorification. So when we speak about growing in the gospel as a church, we talk about growing in our walk with Jesus, growing as a disciple of Jesus. We're talking about this $3 seminary word, sanctification. Sanctification, the the root verb there to sanctify is the Greek word hagiazo, which literally means to make holy. To sanctify means to to make holy. And so sanctification is the process of being made holy. And there's a past, present, and future tense to sanctification as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking about how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to list all kinds of unrighteousness. And then he says in verse 11 right after that, and such were some of you. He lists all this unrighteousness. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So there, Paul is referring to a sanctification that's already occurred in the life of uh, of the Corinthian believers in that case. They were sanctified. Scholars call this positional holiness or positional sanctification. Whereupon coming to faith in Christ, once we trust in Jesus as our only hope to be rescued, God sees the believer not as a sinner but as a saint. The word saint means holy. God sees us as holy. Now just pause there and just, just try to wrap your mind around 
how incredible that is. That we, myself, you, who are anything but holy, are seen by God as holy. Not because of our own righteousness. Paul says says elsewhere, our righteousness is filthy rags. So he doesn't look at us and say that we're holy because of our own holiness and our own righteousness. No, but because through faith in Christ, he has now clothed us with the imputed righteousness of Jesus credited to our account. So we sinners are called holy. We who are anything but holy are are seen by God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're seen as holy. We have been made holy. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you are positionally sanctified. You are positionally holy in that sense. But you're also in the process of being made holy. You're also in the process of being sanctified in the here and now. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, be holy even as I am holy. And he's quoting, he's not referring to himself as holy, he's, he's quoting from uh, God's words in Leviticus, where God says, be holy even as I am holy. Now why would Peter say that? Why would Peter exhort his Christian readers to be something that they already are? Well, it's because he's talking there about a practical holiness. And so we're in the process of being made practically holy, even though we are already positionally holy because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And it is this day-by-day, ongoing, present-day process of being made holy to which we're, we're referring when we talk about the process of an ongoing sanctification in the life of the believer. So... How does it happen? How does a believer grow? What does that look like? And who does that? Who who does the work of spiritual growth? Well, as we look at this passage in Philippians chapter 1, it seems to be very clear that Paul is telling us that God is the one who does this. God is the one who does the work. Look at verse 6 again. He who began this good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, who is it that began the good work in us, referring to the gospel's work of of justification, bringing us to faith in Christ, causing us to be now a born again as a baby Christian? Who did that? Well, God did that, right? We didn't do that. God did that. God is the one who saved us by his sovereign grace and for his own good pleasure. He did that. He saved us by grace through faith. And Paul says, he who began a good work in you, well, he it is who will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in that sense, if God started the work of sanctification in you, and he is, if you know him by faith, then he will bring it to completion. He is the one who will finish the work of sanctification. And friend, that is a glorious truth for us to be encouraged by. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then he will finish that work of sanctification in you. He's going to do it. And there's, there's, no, there's no if, ands, or buts about that. There, there's, there's no maybe to that. He will cause you to grow to where you are conformed to the image of Christ. He will finish that work. He's going to use suffering and trials, as we read out of First Peter chapter one. He's going to use the church. He's going to use different things that are happening in your life. He's going to use the Word of God. He's going to use the counsel of brothers and sisters who are around you. He's going to use lots of things, but He will cause you to grow. He will grow you deep into relationship with Him to draw hope and strength and faith and love from him. He will finish that work. You can count on that. And yet, as we read this passage, Paul seems to be exhorting the Philippians to grow. he's, He's even praying for their spiritual growth. Listen to his prayer in verses 9 through 11. 
He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He prays that they would grow in their love, abounding in love more and more. He prays that they would grow in their knowledge and discernment. And he prays that they would grow in how they live, that they would be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, a plain reading of those verses suggests that the Philippian believers themselves also have a role in their own sanctification, in their own process of growing spiritually, that they themselves must do something in order to grow. And in case we're not convinced by that, Paul clears up any conclusion by making it abundantly clear in the next chapter. Look at chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Now, he's talking in this letter to Christians. He's talking to those who are already saved, and he tells them, to work out their salvation. They already have salvation, but he's telling them, work out your salvation. The word work there is the verb form of the same word that we find in Ephesians 2.9 where Paul tells us very clearly that we're not saved by our own works. But now Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means that although our works have nothing whatsoever to do with our justification, our sanctification is, in a very real way, dependent on our works. This means that we do indeed have a role in our own sanctification, that we are to work at it. But notice what Paul says in the very next verse in Philippians 2. After he says in verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, here's the good news in, chapter, in, in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's no getting around the fact that Paul tells us in verse 12 that we're supposed to work towards our own spiritual growth, that we have a role in our own sanctification and that we're to work at it. But even that work in our own sanctification, is by and through the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer. Listen to how Jerry Bridges comments on this. He puts it this way. Progressive sanctification is not a partnership with the Spirit in the sense that we each, the believer and the Holy Spirit, do our respective tasks. In other words, the Spirit does his job and I do my job. Rather, he says, we work as he enables us to work. His work lies behind all our work and makes our work possible. And so we can say definitively that God causes spiritual growth. God is the one who causes us to grow spiritually. But one of the means that he uses to cause and cultivate spiritual growth in us is our own working at it but if God is the one who causes spiritual growth then what is our working what does that look like what is our working at it what form does that take in John chapter 15 Jesus is speaking with his disciples in the upper room and it's on the night that he was betrayed and arrested And he talks with them about abiding in him and bearing fruit. Now, when we think about growing spiritually, specifically our working at growing spiritually, we we naturally first think about bearing fruit, right? We think about bearing fruit for God, that there needs to be fruitfulness there. And so it's our job to, to work, to bear fruit 
for the kingdom. But what's interesting in that passage in John 15, and I would commend you to go read that and think on that, what's interesting about that passage is that Jesus never commands his disciples to bear fruit. But he does demand, command them twice, not once but twice, to abide in him. He commands them to abide in him, not to bear fruit. He tells them that abiding in him results in bearing spiritual fruit. In fact, he says that no branch can bear fruit apart from him. And that while bearing fruit proves that we are his disciples, we can't work to make ourselves bear fruit. Instead, we work to keep ourselves abiding in Christ. That passage in John chapter 15 is very central to our understanding of our union with Christ, what Bible scholars call our union with Christ, being united with Christ. That through the Spirit giving us new life in Him, through repentance of sins and faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord, that we get grafted into the vine. Not only are we saved, but we are united with Christ. And this is something that only God can do. And we can't do this ourselves. In the analogy, analogy in John 15 that Jesus gives of the vine and the branches, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then he further he says, my father is the vine dresser. You see, a, a branch can't graft itself to the vine. It needs the vine dresser to do that work. And, and so we're the vines who have been grafted in. We're the branches who have been grafted into the vine. And God has done that. The vine dresser has done that. And he has caused this union with Christ. But now that we're united with Christ, we need to keep abiding in Christ. And that's what he's talking about in John 15. We need to abide in Christ, which means to stay connected to him to continue to draw from him our, our, our source of hope and faith and love and life and spiritual vitality. They're drawn from him. He is our source of those things, not ourselves. Think about it. Ridiculous analogy, but how does an apple branch, how does a branch on an apple tree produce apples? Is it just by trying real hard? Like Does the branch like, Ugh! there's an apple. Of course not. It's, it's by staying connected to the tree, right? The tree, through its root system and its leaves, provides the nutrients and the minerals that the branch needs. And as long as that branch stays connected to the tree, it's going to bear fruit. So the same is true for us. Our working on our own spiritual growth, our work to work out our own salvation is not to try real hard to bear fruit, but to focus our efforts on abiding in Christ. And as a result of abiding in Christ, we will bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. Now, what is the fruit that we're talking about here? Where Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I believe that that list there of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is not meant to be exhaustive, but representative of the kind of spiritual fruit that comes from one who is abiding in Christ. When we talk about spiritual growth and the expectation that each of us here at New Branch would be growing spiritually, we often first think of the spiritual disciplines. That I need to be reading my Bible more. I need to be memorizing Scripture more. I need to be praying more. I need to be praying longer. I need to be uh, focusing on developing genuine, authentic, biblical community and fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. I need to be sharing the gospel. These are the spiritual disciplines that I need to be working on. And it's easy for us when we do that to... to wrongly put a formula together in our mind that says Bible reading plus prayer plus fellowship equals spiritual growth or, or spiritual fruitfulness. And it's just not that way. We must understand that from a biblical perspective, again, God produces the fruit. God produces the growth. 
Again, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He is the one who produces growth. The vine, not the branch. And so we, we, we engage in these spiritual disciplines, not so that we would bear fruit, but so that we would continue to abide in Christ. We don't do this so that we would just pop out spiritual fruit. As if Bible reading and prayer and, and fellowship and sharing the gospel and so forth is some kind of on switch for a spiritual fruit assembly line and all we have to do is hit the, hit the on button and then spiritual fruit's going to stop popping out. No, we engage in spiritual disciplines so that we will stay connected to Jesus. Why? Because we love him. We adore him. And we want to know him more. Because we can't get enough of him. And so we read and study his word to know him better. And we spend time with him in prayer, speaking with him, cultivating our relationship with him because we love Jesus. And he has transformed us. He has given us new life. We absolutely adore him and so we want to spend time with him. We want to abide in him. We obey his commands because he's worthy of our obedience and our faithfulness. And that glorifies him. And we want to see him glorified because to us, he is awesome. And we tell others about him by proclaiming the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. Because we love him, not just because we want to be fruitful. And in practicing these and other disciplines, we are cultivating our relationship with him. We're staying connected to the vine. We're drawing our source of hope and spiritual strength and vitality and faith and love from him, the vine. And as a result, we bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. That's what we mean when we talk about growing in the gospel. Engaging in the spiritual disciplines so that we might abide in Christ. Not working hard to be fruitful, but working hard to abide in Christ, to remain in him. And we know that if we abide in Christ, he will cause spiritual fruit to grow from us for his glory. And at New Branch, we pursue this together by being and making disciples. Last week, we were reminded that Jesus commands us. It's an unavoidable command for all believers in Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And in that command, we learned two things. Number one, we learned that we are to make disciples, not just converts. That it's not just about conversion to Christ. That's the first step. It's not just about conversion to Christ. It's about being conformed to Christ. That our faith would grow and mature. That, that, that we would more and more, through spiritual growth, we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So we're to make disciples, not converts. And then secondly, we... We learned that from that, that disciples are made, not born. That we have a role in growing, in growing in our faith, and growing in our maturity, both in ourselves and in one another in the church. A disciple, we said, is a committed, lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is growing in, in three areas. They're growing in their head, their heart, and their hands. A disciple is one who is growing first in what they know. There, is, there, is a, there are things that we need to learn. There, there's a, a, a knowledge in Scripture that, that we need to get into our head and our heart so that it can be enacted in our hands. So, so there, is, there is a sense in which we need to increase in our understanding of Scripture and doctrine and theology. Then we need to grow, as Paul prayed for the Philippians, in our knowledge and all discernment. So we need to grow in what we know. Secondly, we need to grow in what we love. Our hearts need to grow. That's part of growing spiritually. That we grow in what we love, increasing in our affections for God and the things of his kingdom. 
that we have a growing desire to see those things manifested. And then we need to grow in what we do, increasing not only in our knowledge and our heart, but in our faithfulness to apply that knowledge to daily living. So how will this happen in our lives here at New Branch? First, it means that we need to grow in what we know. We need to grow in our knowledge, in our head. We do this in lots of different ways. First and foremost, we do that through the preaching of God's word when the church gathers on Sunday morning. This is why our normal diet of preaching is walking verse by verse through passages of scripture because we need to saturate our lives with this. We need this, not man's wisdom, right? But we also do this by encouraging and challenging one another in our base groups and in our relationships to continue to saturate our lives with the word of God, to grow in our knowledge of what is there, to continue to get what's here into here. We also do this and pursue this in our, the various Bible studies that we offer, our men's Bible studies, our women's Bible studies, other Bible studies that are offered throughout the year are intended to help us grow in our knowledge of what God is saying and what he has said in his word. We also do this tangentially in our base groups, but primarily through um, encouraging and challenging one another to be in the word of God in our own lives. Our, our base groups are primarily aimed at the other two, the heart and the hands. But the elders have also recognized a need to begin to offer some discipleship training classes that will help to fill the gap in some focused areas of discipleship. The first of these that we're going to start offering, you've heard us talking about this in our announcements and so forth, is a foundations class. We'll, we'll start at the end of this, towards the end of this month on Wednesday nights. The foundations class is really going to take what we are learning this week and next week and, and, and seek to put some real practical feet to that for each of us so that we can learn, how do I, how do I read my Bible more? How do I study the Bible? What does the devotional life look like? How can I pray more effectively? How can I grow in my prayer life? How do I pursue authentic community generally in my life, but more specifically at New Branch? And the purpose of this class is to give us the essential elements of growing as a Christian. And so that, and, and we have, our hope and our prayer is that every member of New Branch would participate in the foundations class sometime over the next 12, 15, 18 months. So we're going to continue to offer this on an ongoing basis, uh, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and so forth going forward. So be, be on the lookout for it. But we want all of us to attend that at some point so that we'll all be on the same page as to what it means and what it looks like for us to grow in the gospel so we can encourage and challenge one another to continue to do that. A couple of other classes that we have slated later in the spring, there's going to be a helping others grow class, which is essentially going to be just that, equipping us to help others grow. So not only that we we are growing ourselves, but we're helping someone else grow in the faith. We're discipling someone else. And then an evangelism class, which we'll talk more about in a couple of weeks when we talk about going with the gospel. So these are a variety of ministry efforts that are geared towards helping us grow in what we know, but we also have to address the heart and the hands. How will we grow in what we love? How will we increase our affections for Christ and the things of his kingdom? How will we grow in what we do and how we live, putting practical application to the things that we know and now love? These aspects of spiritual growth are the things that we're primarily pursuing in our base groups. If you're new to New Branch, our base groups are basically our small groups, small groups of people that, that meet in homes Right now, they're all meeting on Sunday night, but they, they meet in homes throughout the week. And our base groups are not aimed primarily at our head. They're, they're not aimed primarily at what we know. In our base groups, we're aiming at applying that knowledge. We're aiming at our hearts and our hands. So we've met with our base group leaders, and we've talked with them about how to steer our 
conversations and our discussions in our base groups towards growing in our walk with Christ, helping others grow in our walk with Christ, and then, and then to go with the gospel. To go with the gospel, which honestly is one of the most overlooked spiritual disciplines that keeps us abiding in Christ. And so this is something that we pursue in our base groups. As we close, I want us to consider why we would do this. Why should we seek to pursue growing spiritually? What is our motivation in growing in our head, our heart, and our hands spiritually? Is it so that we will be seen as more spiritual? More spiritual than the next person? Is it so that we'll just be a lot smarter about what God's word says? Is that the end? Is it so that we can be put in a leadership position at the church because we're more spiritual? Do we somehow think that Jesus' blood isn't quite enough? And so we need to grow spiritually so that God will truly love us and accept us and forgive us. Is our motivation just a fleshly desire to achieve and accomplish and grow? I hope not. That certainly wasn't Paul's motivation. How does Paul conclude his thoughts in our passage from Philippians 1? Again, look at verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? To the glory and praise of God. Church, we want each of us to grow spiritually so that God might be glorified in us and so that we might have the privilege and the honor of extending his glory to the nations as we leave here and go with the gospel. As you consider an application to this message this morning. These are things that I would encourage you to wrestle with on your own, but also wrestle with in community with those with whom you're in community in your base group. And some of these we've already mentioned, but just to drive them home, first of all, are you spiritually alive? That really is the first question. Don't try to grow spiritually if you don't have a spiritual life. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, then my exhortation to you is to repent, to turn from your sin and your self-rule, and turn to Christ and his rule over your life. God made a way for sinners to be redeemed to him, and it is through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus. Are you spiritually alive? And then secondly, are you spiritually growing? Are you growing spiritually? If not, then why not? What barriers exist in your life that are keeping you from growing spiritually? And when you ask that question, odds are you are going to be revealing some sort of sin pattern or some kind of idol that you've been holding on to in your life. And it is good for the Spirit to shine a light on those things so that you might return from them and repent of them and trust in Christ to restore you to spiritual growth. So why aren't you growing? But if you are growing, how can you grow more? How can you grow more? What can you do to cultivate more spiritual growth? What can you do to abide in Christ more? Maybe it's to truly begin to saturate your life with Scripture. Maybe it's learning how to meditate on Scripture, memorize Scripture. Maybe joining a Bible study so that you might grow in what you know. Maybe it's about learning how to grow in your prayer life, pursuing true biblical community, not just showing up and talking about football games, but 
showing up and truly desiring for others to come alongside you and help you to grow spiritually and then engaging in the process of helping them to grow spiritually. Whatever it is, whatever of these kinds of spiritual disciplines you need to focus on, let us, church, let us pursue spiritual growth and not haphazardly, not slowly and lazily, but let us pursue spiritual growth with vigor and the fervor and the passion that the glory of God demands. Let's pray. Father, we pray first of all for those in this room and in our hearing who do not yet have this new life in Christ. Father, we ask that by your grace you would make them abundantly aware, undeniably aware of their hopelessly lost condition apart from you. That they would feel the weight of their own sin and rebellion against you and that they would feel the weight and the loneliness and the hopelessness that is the implication of their sin. And in the next breath, Lord, reveal to them the glory of the gospel, the good news that you have made a way for sinners like me, sinners like us, to be reconciled to you through faith in Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that right now that you would grant that faith to that individual who needs to trust in you. Lead them across the line of faith to trust in Jesus as their only hope. Give them new life in Christ. And then, Father, with this new life in Christ, that those of us who have been saved by grace through faith enjoy by your grace, Father, would it grow? Keep us connected to you. Keep us connected to the vine, Lord. Let us not wallow in waywardness and backsliddenness. Father, let us pursue abiding in your Son, Jesus Christ, by engaging in these spiritual disciplines, not just so that we would grow spiritually, not just so that spiritual fruit would pop out of our lives, but so that we would grow closer and deeper into our walk and our relationship with you. And that, Father, through that, you would cause spiritual growth, you would produce spiritual fruit, and that that would all be for your glory. We pray this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.